Hi, I'm Amanda. I'll be reading the second uh, Bible reading for this morning. And these are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, taken from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23. Please follow along as I read. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Thank you, Amanda. Well, we come to this topic of hell. It's, it is a somber topic and it's important that we um, come with this topic with a sort of open mind, open heart to hear what God might have to say. Um, so, so we might pray once again before we turn to this passage. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we know that it is in your hands what the future holds. And when we consider a topic like hell, it's hard to believe, even accept. But we pray, Lord, that you might help us all to heed your words, to have open minds and open hearts to receive what you have to teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question for today is, how could you believe that hell exists? It's a good question. It's an extremely good question. And if you're asking this question, you know, good on you for asking that question and not just to shy away from it. It's a question we should, in fact, all be asking. Because in the spirit of our age, it's unpolite to talk about hell. It's something that we think it's not so sensitive, culturally sensitive to talk about in the public realm. Some may even consider it as just offensive. And perhaps even Christians, perhaps even some of us here, we might even be embarrassed by the idea. And so we keep the topic of hell locked behind at the back of our minds and we don't bring it out until we need to. But it is a good question to ask. Because how? How do you, if you do believe this, how do you believe that there is such a place of eternal damnation? How do you believe that? It's certainly not something we want to think about at the next funeral we attend. Perhaps it's just locked behind the back of our minds, the thought is there, but we don't really want to bring it out. We don't really want to talk about it. We don't really want to think about it. And how do you go talking about this topic to children? I mean, we, we did a kids' talk before about it, but how do you go talking about this topic with children? I've had many chats about heaven and hell with our 
children as I've raised them and try to teach them the truth of the Bible. I remember about four and a half years ago when our kids were four and a half years younger, so seven, nine, eleven, I was trying to describe to them heaven. You know, it's going to be the best place ever. No tears, it'll be all wiped, no crying, no pain, death is gone. And they, you know, in their little minds, they asked, well, will there be happy tears in heaven? That's a good question. I said no tears. It says no tears in our reading before. They said, well, will there be happy tears? And I said, I don't know, perhaps happy tears because we'll be reunited. That's what we have to look forward to. And then I asked, well, do you know what is better in heaven than just being reunited? And they said, they answered rightly, we get to see God. And so it was a somber moment. I talked about heaven and I wrote this down because it was that type of moment for our family. They understood. Now you might be thinking, what a somber dad to talk to their kids about heaven and hell. But if that is heaven, then hell is the opposite. No joyful tears at all, but desperate, heart-wrenching, bitter, angry tears. No joyful reunion, but loneliness, despair, agony, desperation, torment, for which there is no escape ever. The place where God is not there. And that is the place of hell, describing to our kids. All that is good that we enjoy in this world, completely sucked out. I mean, how could you believe that if you do? How could you believe that there is such a place? And so in speaking about hell, we never talk about it casually as Christians, those of us who are Christians. We never speak about this topic like it's a joke. We always come to this topic with a heavy heart, with a sense of somberness because it is such a place, with terror and dread because if that is the reality... And there is a place called hell. We're talking about the eternal destinies of people we know, people we love, and we don't want to think about it. But we have to ask the question, how could you believe that hell exists? Well, firstly, before even turning to this passage, before even considering what the Bible has to say, I'll say this and I'll qualify in a moment. And this is what I'll say. Hell, I think, is something we all perhaps long for. We long for it deep down. Not for ourselves, of course, at least for someone else. Now, I'll qualify. What do I mean by this? Well, do you think everyone should be in heaven? How would you answer that? If you were God and you were the judge of the world, you were the judge of every soul and heaven is your home, would you let everyone regardless of what they have done, regardless of what they're like, will you let them into your home to be with your family, to play with your kids? I mean, just think about that. If you were God, will you let everyone in? Adolf Hitler, responsible for the death of six million Jews. Sure, well, why don't you come in? Take a place in, in my lounge room, have a seat, have a cuppa. 
Henrik Himmler, Hitler's right-hand man, known as the architect of terror, the brains behind the concentration camps, with all the brutality and all that they invented. Sure, well, why don't you come in? Take a seat next to Mother Teresa. Enjoy yourself. Would you do that if you were God? Pol Pot, the killing fields of Cambodia. Mao, Stalin. Not to mention those responsible for all the genocides in human history. The Rwandan genocide, the Armenian genocide. And of course, not to mention the thousands upon thousands of crime that is committed every single day by people. Abuse, violence, torture, rape, slave trade, drug smuggling. Well, why don't you come into my home and we'll have a barbecue? You see, deep down, deep down, I think all of us want that sense of hell. We long for that sense of justice. And so if you were God, is that what you would do? You would just let everyone in? Well, you see, deep down, we all long, this, long for this sense of justice. And God's answer to that is hell. Now, that may be something we may not be willing to admit, but I think deep down we long for something like that because if I were God, I would not let everyone in. Uh, a bit over a month ago, sometimes we feel this sense of injustice when we feel it ourselves or if it's felt by those we know and love. About a month ago, I felt this deep sense of, oh, that is wrong. That is so wrong. I went along to this ministry in the city. It's called Salt and Light. It's a ministry to the poorest in Melbourne, reaching the homeless, those without home, giving them a meal and sharing Jesus with them. So it happens every Saturday night. I went along. I met this Argentinian man in his 60s. I went along to give a talk about the love of God. And so I shared about the love of God. And after the talk, I went to talk to this Argentinian man. His face was downcast, and he asked me the question, how could a loving God allow what happened in my life? And I was waiting to listen. And he shared his story. And it was confronting, heartbreaking to say the least. He shared of his story. He's in his 60s. He shared when he was 14. He was abused. Devastated his life. He was rejected by his family in time. And he's still traumatized by it. He will share that he still gets nightmares because of it. And his life was pretty much ruined. Ruined completely. What, what do you say to him? What do you say to a man like that? I felt in my heart, that is so wrong. We want justice. And I looked into his downcast eyes. I want justice for that man. You see, I think deep down, even before we look at the scriptures, before we looked at the Bible, Deep down we have this yearning, this longing for justice. And God's answer to that justice is hell. Now we, we may not understand why hell, why that's severe. We'll come that, to that in a moment. But we want justice from one who sees everything. We want justice from one where nothing escapes him. We want justice from one who will never misjudge, who will never drop the ball in justice. We see the ball drop in justice all around the world by our court system, by our governments. So many people get away. So many people will get away from this life not facing justice. And we want justice. I mean, you think about Hitler and Himmler. They, they both committed suicide. There's no justice there. They, they got away from it. The, the abuser of this Argentinian man, he shared, he died in prison. There's no justice there. 
He took the easy way out. And so we long for justice. We long for punishment. God's answer is hell. How could we believe it? Well, I think we can. It's actually not a stretch to believe it. But now we come to this story. Even if we long for something, it does not make it true. So how could you believe that hell exists? Well, the simple answer is Jesus told us so. The meek and mild Jesus, the one who's so gentle and loving and kind and gracious and stretches out his hands to touch the leper, that Jesus is the one in the Bible who speaks most about hell. In the New Testament, 14 references of hell, 12 of those comes from the lips of Jesus. And he's not painting a picture of hell where, you know, there are demons with horns holding pitchforks, dancing around a cauldron. You know, not that type of picture. In fact, the picture Jesus paints, it's terrifying. It's horrifying. It's the last place you want to be. In fact, the word hell comes from the word Gehenna. It's a Greek word, and it refers to a valley south of Jerusalem. It was a place that was used to dump garbage and sewage. and It was, in the Old Testament, a place where child sacrifice was made. It referred to that place. During the Babylonian captivity, mounds of dead bodies were piled up in that place. It was the place where carcasses of dead animals were burnt. It was the place where the corpse of criminals were placed, even at the time of Jesus. It was where the, the worms bred and fed on the filth. It, it was where it was kept constantly burning, and there was this stench of rotten rubbish and putrid smoke. It was, if you like, hell on earth. And so when Jesus talks about hell, it's the word Gehenna, and that was what he's referring to. In fact, Jesus used that picture to point forward to something that is infinitely worse. Infinitely worse. It's a place where we read in the Bible, the flames are never quenched. Well, what does that picture paint in your mind? The flames are never quenched. It means there's no comfort. Utter distress, always. And there's no escape. It's a place where told the worms never die. It's a picture of the worms gnawing at your body and it keeps on going forever and ever. It never dies. It's a place Jesus often describes as the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it's a place of agony and torment, not just from the environment outside, but internally. I mean, that's worth thinking about where the torment is coming from. You see, if there's danger outside, you can try to run from it, can't you? You know, one of my kids, scared of spiders, see a spider, runs. Another one, scared of cockroach, sees it, runs. My wife, scared of, scared of mouse, runs. If it's outside, we run from it. Me, I'm not scared. Maybe a lion, I'll run from a lion. But this torment comes from within. And if it comes from within, there is nowhere to run. A 17th century Puritan, Thomas Vincent, he sent, not only will the unbeliever be in hell, but hell will be in him too. And so the conscience is just eating at your mind, tormenting you day and night with uninterrupted agony. You shouldn't have done that. When you were on earth, you shouldn't have been so greedy. You shouldn't have been so unfaithful to your wife. 
You shouldn't have, have watched that movie. You, you shouldn't have thought you would have got away with it. You should have just listened to your friend and listened to wise advice. It's all your fault we're here. There's no one to blame. You shouldn't have. You see, there's no rest, no reprieve forever and ever, and it will continue to torment, and it will be a godless eternity. No one to call for help. No one to turn to for help. You know, you go ahead, cry. Cry all you like. Plead for mercy. Plead for help. But there is no answer. It will be the place of constant, bitter grief and utter hopelessness, shrieking in uncontainable psychological pain, gnashing the teeth in anguish, in absolute despair. And even after you've exhausted the life of the sun and the stars, hoping maybe it's over. It's not. He keeps on going and going and going. And even if you want to end your life, you cannot. There is no escape. See, meek and mild Jesus, that's the picture he paints of hell. And it's perhaps the real one, infinitely worse. And that's why those of us who are Christians, we have to be mindful. When we speak about this topic, we never speak about it with smugness or gloating that some may be there. We always speak about it with a somber and heavy heart. Now, why did Jesus describe hell in such horrifying, terrifying ways? Well, firstly, it is to warn us. To warn us. It's, like, it's not like, in fact, the warnings we get when you board a plane. When you go on a plane, what, what do the air hostess say? Ladies and gentlemen, today you are traveling on Airbus A320. And it is important that you are all familiar with the safety features of this aircraft. By that point, I've got my headphones on, and I've got my iPad out, and Netflix is on. And then they continue. Having your seatbelts done up low and tight is essential for takeoff, turbulence, and landing. At this point, I've fallen asleep. <laughs> well, the warnings of Jesus are not like that. Air crews, they, they warn us, but they warn us with a smile. Jesus warns us with a heavy heart. And in this passage, Jesus says what you need to know. The road to hell is a wide one. The road to hell is a wide one. Now that may come as a surprise because we would like to think most will go to heaven. The wide road should be towards heaven. But Jesus says, no, it's the other way around. We like to think, well, not many will go to hell. It's just the dictators, the murderers, the most wicked of society. There shouldn't be that many there. And if you've been to enough funerals, many people like to think that way. He's up there. She's up there. That's the language we hear. But Jesus says very directly, very clearly, we must listen to this. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so what Jesus is saying, it's far, far easier to end up in hell. Is that a surprise? Is that a shock? It doesn't take effort. It doesn't take 
effort at all or thought to end up in hell because wide is the gate and broad is the road. Just travel down the road of life normally and where do you end? You end up in hell. Just go down the freeway, the M1, the Monash, and where do you end up? Not You end up in hell. The road of life will just lead you there. It is broad. It's broad because I'm choosing to live life my way. I want freedom. I want liberty. I want to live a life where I set the path, I set the direction, I set my goals. I do what I want. I want to say yes to pleasure, no to pain. It's broad, it's easy, so liberating, it's free. I do what I want. And the billions of people around the world saying the same thing. I do as I want. I live as I want. That is broad. That is wide. But the end is opposite, you see. In this life, the road may be wide and broad, but the end is tight, is crushing, is narrow, it's enclosed, it's imprisonment. We may feel loose and free in this world, in this life, but in eternity is anything but that. But you see, to find the narrow road to life, that is different. It's certainly not to go with the flow of all humanity. The rest of humanity, they're on the Monash, they're on the M1. But to find life is to find a different path. The narrow one. The one that is narrow in this life. But it leads to a vast expanse of beauty and colors and majesty and glory as far as the eyes could see. A delight we cannot even begin to imagine. And so the warning of Jesus, firstly we must hear, is that the road to hell is wide. It's easy to get there. Get on the freeway and you'll end up there. But then Jesus also warns, many who think they're going to heaven will be shocked to find themselves in hell. I'll say that again. Many who think they're going to heaven will be shocked to find themselves in hell. Now, I think that's a serious warning that we must take to heart. I mean, I cannot think anything worse than what Jesus said there. You live your life, I've, I've done all I could to get to heaven. I thought I lived a decent life. I thought I did all that I was needed to get to heaven, only to find out at the very end, on judgment day, I'm not allowed in. And why is that? Well, we're told here. We're told here. We're told that on that day, all will be revealed. What we're really like. Not just on the outside, but on the inside, what our inner person is really like. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot fake your way into heaven. You might be able to fool people, but there is no fooling God when it comes to this. There's no fooling God by the appearance of decency, by the appearance of goodness, of niceness, by the appearance of being religious. I mean, this passage happens after Jesus had a go with all those religious leaders who had the appearance of being good, but inside they're rotten to the bones. And what Jesus is saying here is that he sees right through us, right into our hearts, not just the dictators and the murderers, us. And there is no hiding and there's nowhere to turn to, no hole to jump in and hide. And so Jesus says here, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? You see, these are the people who are claiming to just, weren't we the religious people? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we pray? Didn't we do our charity and give to the poor and pay our taxes? Weren't we the good people, the decent people? Weren't, you the ones that, weren't we the ones you're, you're pleased with? And you listen to how Jesus responds. Verse 23. Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Those are chilling words. They are not the words, the last words you want to hear from the, from the lips of Jesus. Away from me, you evildoers. Broad is the road to hell. And so Jesus warns us, for what reason? It's out of love. He, he, he warns us out of love. He warns us not just to terrify us, to frighten us for no reason. There was this time many years ago now, Esther was still a little girl. She was in the kitchen making a toast, and I was in the kitchen being productive, probably making a coffee, whatever I was doing in the kitchen. She was making a toast, and when the toast was done, I looked over, and I saw her grab a knife, and she was trying to get the toast out. I screamed, stop, Esther. I've got a loud voice. And she was frightened. She started crying, and my heart started melting. But I don't regret it. I do not regret it one bit, screaming at her, scaring her, frightening her in that way. It was out of love to warn her. And so Jesus spoke about hell the most. Why? To warn us out of love. If wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, get off the freeway, Jesus is saying. Get off the Monash, get off the M1. Otherwise, who's to blame? Who is to blame? I've only got myself to blame. I've got nothing to gain. It's why those who end up in hell are really only getting what they have asked for. You see, if I really want to live life my way, I want to live the free life, the liberating life, my freedoms, my way, independence from God. God, you just stay away from me. Don't tell me what to do. Don't get into my business. This is my life. I'll do it my way. I don't want I don't want pain, I want pleasure. I'll just think for myself. Stay out of my business, God. If that is what we're saying, what will God do? He will grant that prayer. He will grant it one day. And that's because God takes us seriously. He takes us, in fact, far more seriously than we do ourselves. He takes our words far more seriously than we do. We speak careless words, but they're not careless to God. He takes us seriously. He takes our thoughts, our desires, our ambitions, our actions seriously. If this is really what you want, you really do want me to stay out of your life, you really want me to go away, well, I will one day, forever, forever. You see, there is agony, there is torment, but the absolute poverty of hell is separation from God. And that's why Jesus warns. 
Jesus warns out of love. Jesus stretches out his hands and says, Stop. Do not go down this road. On the 12th of December, in 1984, in Surrey, not Surrey Hills, but Surrey in London, south of London. So this was many decades ago. In the morning, on the M25, a big freeway, a dense fog just blocked all the views. You couldn't see anything. The drivers driving, they could not see at all. The hazard lights were on that morning, but most drivers would just drive past ignoring it. At about 6.15 a.m., a lorry, a truck carrying huge rolls of paper, was involved in an accident, and within minutes, the carriageway was engulfed in flames. Dozens of cars continued to smash into it. They couldn't see. The fog was so thick. So many people were killed. The police patrol car, they, they were there on the scene quickly, and they saw what was happening, so they tried to stop the ongoing traffic. Stop! Stop! They couldn't see. And, and so they got so desperate, and what they did was they picked up the traffic cones that were throwing onto the windscreens. And these drivers, they were going to work. They, they wanted to do, uh, get to work on time. They, they, they went into the wreck. They smashed into it so that by the end, there were 11 dead, 23 cars all smashed and piled together. One even with tears saying a police officer was reported. They tried to stop them so desperately, but they wouldn't listen. They would just continue to drive into the wreckage. The warning is there. Jesus speaks about how it is terrifying. There is nothing more terrifying than that. But he speaks about it to warn us out of love. J.I. Packer, the, the great theologian, he, he, he puts it in a way I really love. He said, Nobody stands under the wrath of God save those have chosen to do so. The essence of God's action in wrath is to give men what they choose. In all its implications, nothing more and equally nothing less. If we in this life want to go down the road of life, the freeway, I want liberty, I want space. Don't cramp my, my space, God. God will answer that one day. C.S. Lewis, who was one-time atheist, became a Christian, the one who wrote the famous Narnia series. He said, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. Rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked on the inside. It's saying you got yourself there. You not only got yourself there, you, you locked it from the inside so that you don't go out. And so Jesus warns out of love, stop. Get off the freeway. Why? Well, it's out of love. But that was not it. You see, ultimately, so that we could escape it. We talk about hell so that we can make sure we have escaped it, so that we would stop when the traffic cones are being thrown onto our windscreen, so that we would stop, so that we would not stick the knife into the toaster, so that we would get off the freeway and find the narrow road that leads to life. Jesus is saying, don't go with the world. Everyone's going that way. Find the narrow road that leads to life. And how do I find that road? 
Well, the difference is in this passage. The clue is there. Do you see it? The difference is Jesus himself. Those who said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we do all those religious stuff? Why didn't they get into heaven? Well, Jesus told us, I never knew you. You are a stranger to me. So why would I let you into my home? Do you see? The difference is Jesus. The difference between heaven and hell is Jesus. Those who find the narrow road are those who find Jesus and follow him. Jesus, in a sense, sense says, follow me. Follow me. And if I follow Jesus, then I'm denying my freedoms. I'm denying my liberties. I'm denying what I choose to do in life. I'm denying my own way to life. I'm sacrificing the broad road for Jesus' road. I'm, in a sense, holding the hands of Jesus and walking through life with him, following him. I'm not going on the freeway. I'm going his way. Through the tracks, the paths, the laneways, where you lead Jesus, I will follow. I, I know you, and you know me, and I'm going with you. That is the narrow road. It is to have a relationship with Jesus. Why would Jesus let us into his kingdom if we do not know him? And he does not know us. And so the narrow road is to follow Jesus. I trust him with my life. I hold on to his hands. Where he goes, I will go. And that narrow road will one day lead to the vastness of that great expanse of glory and majesty, the things unimaginable, the things of heaven. And so Jesus is the one who can lead us, the one we can trust in. He says so, so I believe so. And why? Ultimately because of the story of the cross. Because what's that story about? It's a story about Jesus going to hell and coming back. You see, that narrow road, that path was, path was paved by the cross of Christ. You see, at the cross, what happened? When Jesus, the Son of God, the beloved Son of God, was hanging there on the cross, scorned and mocked by men and women, what happened? Well, Jesus, the beloved Son of God, who was loved by the Father from all eternity past, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, to lose the love of of a friend, that is something, that is hurtful. But to lose the love of the one who has loved you for all eternity... That is a pain beyond words. And at the cross, Jesus experienced hell. The absolute poverty of hell is separation from God, and Jesus experienced that. The Father's wrath found its focus on God the Son. And because of that, he paved the way, that narrow way to heaven. He paved the way by experiencing hell himself. He came, he went to hell. And he came back. And so when Jesus warns of hell, he also invites us. You hear it? The broad road goes to destruction. The narrow one goes to life. Well, come with me. Have a relationship with me. And with his hand extended with loving grace, follow me, trust in me. And those who do, those of us who see that the broad road goes to nowhere good, 
but I'm holding on to Jesus in this life. I want a relationship with him. I'm trusting him. I'm following wherever he goes, and I'm living for him. Then what will happen one day? Jesus will lead us until we get to the gates of heaven, when finally he says, not away from me, you evildoers, but he says, we are finally home. We are finally home. The tears are wiped. No pain, no mourning, no crying. And so if you're asking how could you ever believe that hell exists, well, how could we believe? Justice demands it. God's holiness demands it. But above all, Jesus told us so, to warn us so, because he loves us so. And so his hand is extended, his hand of love and grace. Will you come with me on the narrow road? And so the question now is not just whether it exists, but will you follow Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have considered this topic that is heavy upon the heart, that one day there will be absolute justice, and though we don't know how and why, but we do long for it. We want your justice to be done absolutely and for all eternity. But in this life, help us to heed the words and the warning of Jesus that it was said out of love that we would choose not the broad road, but the narrow road with Jesus that leads to life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.